Well, guys, when I had the idea for this class, I called up a buddy of mine from grad school who's uh, been a licensed marriage and family therapist for about 10 years now. And I was talking to him a little bit about kind of what I'm wanting to do and asking him, asked him if he had any resources. He recommended a book that I will draw from for most of the lessons. I haven't, uh, I, I'm not going to take everything from that book. For those of you who, ever, who have ever taught any kind of Bible class before and used a book, you know that there's good stuff and there's bad stuff. And so, anyway, just because I'm using this book, it doesn't have my wholehearted recommendation. But anyway, I, uh, I asked him what, uh, you know, what he recommend, and he told me, and then he made a good point about adults in general, but men in particular, and how we need to learn to more effectively talk through what we think and feel. It's obviously not everybody, right? There's always exceptions, but it's adults in general, but men in particular. My friend said this, we tend to have a third grade vocabulary when it comes to expressing how we feel. We feel mad, sad, bad, or glad, and that's all we know how to say. And for a guy who's got uh, two little kids who like Dr. Seuss and Winnie the Pooh, that really made a lot of sense to me. I have seen firsthand what an inability to process emotions can do. Seen firsthand. Basically, the point of this class is to help us all learn how not to be that guy who bottles everything up and then suffers a spectacular implosion, or in this case, explosion, complete with all kinds of self-destruction. Okay? That's kind of a stereotype, but I suspect if we were to go around the room, we probably have all either been that ourselves at one point or know somebody who has been that way, whether there's a man or a woman. Since we're talking about stereotypes, one stereotype of women that I think most of us are familiar with is that they're generally better at expressing their emotions than men, right? Is that fair? Okay, right. Not all stereotypes are true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They happen for a reason. Okay. Anyway, maybe, maybe they are. Or maybe they're not that much better at it. Maybe women just tend to do it a little bit more often than men. Maybe that's really what it is. Maybe men generally kind of hold on to it. Maybe women generally share it a little bit more, but it doesn't mean that one is inherently better or worse at sharing what they're thinking and feeling than the other. A lot of times. Maybe practice makes perfect, I don't know. All right, so I understand how a class like this might seem uninteresting. We're talking about sharing feelings and stuff. Okay, right, I get it, right? I get it, how that might seem uninteresting, and you're welcome to leave. Just do so at the end of class. And <laughs> Let me ask you a question, though. What do you all know about King David from the Bible? Let's share some things. What do, you, what do you know about King David from the Bible? Man after God's own heart. Man after God's own heart. Anything else? Mercenary. Adulterer, mercenary. Don, what'd you say? Adulterer, mercenary. Anything else? Murderer. We're getting a pretty full picture here. Yes, sir. He was a very emotional man. Pretty emotional guy. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, apparently he liked to dance naked. Not something I recommend, but uh, maybe there's a time and place for everything. <laughs> yeah. Any, he was an artist. I've heard mercenary. I'm looking for something that's similar to mercenary. Poet soldier. Poet, soldier. Yeah. Mighty warrior, right? 
arguably Israel's greatest king? What are those things that he wrote a lot of? Psalms, Psalms that's right. All right, this, is, this question is going to sound kind of dumb, but I'm just going to ask it the way I've got it written in my notes. Was David a sissy? Was David a sissy? William says yes. At times. Interesting. Proud man, humble, brave, but... Ooh, a lot of times maybe he was unwilling, too weak to confront. William, is that where you were going with that? Maybe he was afraid of confronting some of what he did? The story of the wife of your what? Yeah. <laughs> Guys, if y'all don't know William, he's got a dry sense of humor. Go tell Uriah, hey man. Yeah. Sorry. Covered that up. He said, how about you go fight over there? David was unwilling to... Yeah. He was a coward about that. He was unwilling to confront his son Absalom. Yeah. That story starts out in the year time when kings usually go to battle. And where is he? He stayed home. He stayed home. Okay. But generally speaking, David was not afraid to back down from a fight. We can say that. Generally speaking, especially young King David. Oh, yeah. yeah. David is probably first and foremost known for being a great soldier. And one of the reasons why a lot of people in Jesus' day believed that the Messiah would be a great military leader is because they expected the Messiah to be like the second coming of David, sometimes called the son of David. Jesus even gets called that sometimes. Jesus is really careful about what titles he uses about himself because those titles have a ton of expectations attached to them. And he wants to define what that stuff means, not everybody else. All right, we all know the story of David and Goliath, but what about this one? Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. And for those of you who don't turn, I assume you just have it memorized. 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. I think we're going to need to find a fan around here somewhere. It's a little warm. Yeah. A little chilly. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, if we want to crack these doors open to get a little bit of breeze in here, that's great. 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. I'm going to help. William, actually, if you, if you just want to... Yeah, you can leave it open. It'll be fine. I'm recording now, so... I don't have any... I, yeah. When Samuel returned, so 1 Samuel chapter 4, starting in verse 1, we're just going to read the first eight verses here. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, David is in the wilderness in, in Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to look for David and his men in the direction of the rocks of the wild goats. Now, in Gedi means spring of the wild goats, so they're pretty similar here. 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. We're in verse 3 now. He, verse 3. Verse 3. Yeah. He came to the sheepfolds beside the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. The men of David said to him, 
Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David went and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's cloak. Afterwards, David was stricken to the heart because he had cut off a corner of Saul's cloak. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to raise my hand against him, for he is the Lord's anointed. So David scolded his men severely and did not permit them to attack Saul. Then Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. Afterwards, David also rose up and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord the King! You might know the rest of the story. Saul is looking for David, trying to kill David. And Saul, how dark was it in that cave for him not to see? Or how long was his cloak for him not to see David? Anyway, David comes up, cuts off a corner of this. How sharp was the knife? Did not make any noise. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of good questions in here. Saul walks out of the cave. He's some distance away. Then David emerges from the cave and he has the cloak and says, My lord the king, you see that I mean you no harm because I could have done much worse than this. And Saul is forced to, forced to admit David's integrity and David's intentions. All right, Saul, or David could have killed him if he really wanted to, but when given the chance, David spared his life. David is clearly, clearly one of Israel's greatest warriors. This is some pretty serious stuff here. But I asked a question just a minute ago, and I'm going to ask it again. What else was David especially known for? What else do we have in the Bible? from David. Killed Goliath. Killed Goliath? I'm looking for something in particular. We mentioned just a second ago. What else did Shepherd. David contribute to? What other book? Psalm. There we go. There we go. The Psalms. What does the word psalm mean? A song means to pluck originally, yeah. Talking about some Greek verbs there, yeah. It's a song or a poem. Right? Song or a poem. Most of us are pretty familiar with Psalm 23. Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. Even if you didn't grow up reading the King James, you can probably quote it in the King James, right? Yeah. Because it's the same inflection as you would read it in Hebrew. Interesting. The translators did what they had. That's why all the translations <coughs> are what techniques on the King James started with that phrase because for what they did in the Psalms. Very cool. They kept. Yeah, particular I am's where the emphasis goes, you know, for every other syllable or something along those lines. Yeah. Because you'd be doing the same thing. Hebrew has kind of a lyrical quality to it that my Hebrew reading isn't as isn't good enough to be able to bring it out here. But that's uh, that's cool, Sean. I didn't know that. Right, you all know Psalm twenty-three. Let's read a couple of other psalms that David wrote, and I want you to pay attention to the kinds of emotions David expresses. Can you turn to Psalm 22? Psalm 22. As we, We're going to read through a few verses of this, not the whole thing, most of it. I want you to pay attention to the kinds of emotions David expresses. 
Also keeping in mind the kind of man that David is. A great man, a flawed man, a man who will eventually recognize his faults, though sometimes covers them up. Goodness, David is starting to sound more human by the minute, the more we talk about him. Psalm 22. Pay attention to the kinds of emotions David expresses here in these verses. We'll just start in verse 1. <clears throat> my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you... Are he who took me from the womb, and you made me to trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord... Do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. We could read the rest of that and eventually get the same point. All right, in those 21 verses that we read, what emotions does David express? Like a breakdown. What? Helpless? Frustration? Humility? Despair? Distress? At this time, he had always been promised the kingship, right? I believe. I don't know exactly when David wrote this. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like that he was. He knew that he was going to be king, but God, why, did you, why, why am I going through all this if I'm going to be king? Yeah. Yeah, he, you notice the, uh, the first verse here? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Loneliness, maybe? Doubt. Doubt? Yeah. And chock full of messianic there. Of course, right. Yeah, this is... As we go through this, especially as we're marching closer to Easter, there's a lot of things there we say, oh, yeah, man, goodness, yeah, that's, that makes a lot of sense. He's afraid. Take a look at verse 12. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan. This area known as Bashan was known for its... I've got a study note here that says it's well known for its sheep and plump cattle. <laughs> Apparently... 
they had proverbially strong bulls in this part of town. How many of you have ever been in a bullpen before when it got loose? I figure that's probably a normal thing down here in South Texas, right? That don't happen a lot in Middle Tennessee. Okay. We try to stay outside the pen. See? Because, right, where's the danger's inside the pen, right? Yeah. Okay. It's a legitimate fear to be cooped up in a bullpen. Okay. Turn with me to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Well, Couple. There was, there was some animal imagery in 22. An, animal imagery, yeah. Oh, yeah. Save me from the mouth of the lion. Yeah. I like what you said in NIV, it says wild oxen, but I was actually looking at King James and it says unicorn. Yes. <laughs> it says unicorn. I can't. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's, um, de- depending on which mythology you're working from, unicorns are actually pretty scary. Uh, how many of you have read The Last Battle from C.S. Lewis? Okay, all right, so you know. All right, Psalm 51. We, uh, guys, what did y'all talk about in the men's class today? Unicorns. <laughs> Heart stars show clovers. <laughs> we were start- yeah, yeah. That, uh, that's, a, that's an idiom, yeah. Yeah, that... Uh, Drop trousers. Drop trousers, yep, okay. In, in, just as a note, in Hebrew, the idiom to uncover or cover your feet means to expose yourself Yeah. so that others can see. Yeah, I, I kind of conclude that... that I but, if you got, yeah, but you can actually find it in Ruth and several other places. In your yeah. Life. So guys, what else did y'all talk about in the men's class today? Pooping, <laughs> unicorns. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have a good time no matter what happens. Okay, Psalm fifty-one, and the ascription, the title at the top of this one is pretty important too. A Psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had gone into Bathsheba. We'll read uh, we'll read the whole thing. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, block out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. David is speaking in hyperbole here in verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You can make a pretty good argument that he sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba as well. So again, this is hyperbole, rhetorical overstatement. Verse 5. Behold, surely I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Again, this is rhetorical overstate. This is or, or, rhetorical overstatement. This is not David panning the way, uh, playing the way, uh, paving the way for um, uh, what's that? Original, Original sin. sin. Thank you. That's that David's not making a doctrinal statement here. Verse six. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. 
and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. See, David admits he has sinned against others. Verse 4 was hyperbole. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Same question. What emotions does David express in Psalm 51? Guilt. Sorrow. Maybe even shame to some degree. Shame verses 1 and 2. Despair? Well, you think about what he said towards the first part of that chapter. And he almost tried to blame this on God. I was born in sin. and You know, I was rotten from the beginning. And then I did all this stuff. But please forgive me. Yeah. You know, is he trying to... I, th- I, th- <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I get the sense that what he's saying is that he's so overwhelmed by his own sin that he makes it, he says, surely I'm, and because I'm so sinful, surely I must have been sinful forever. Never was there a time when I was right before God. And again, this, I think he's exaggerating here. Because when people are overcome with emotion, they exaggerate, right? And that, this is a song. Okay, yeah. He realized where he was because in 17 says, my sacrifice, God, is a broken spirit. Yeah, he gets that point. Let, yeah, we'll give David the benefit of the doubt here and let him work through all this. Part of the Psalms are about processing what? Emotion. Mike, yeah. Well, it's guilt. I mean, the... Nathan confronts yeah. David with the story about a rich man who takes a poor man's uh, lamb. Little lamb, yeah. And, and serves it to a visitor. Mm-hmm. And, and David is angry about it and condemns David's ready to go kill somebody because right. of that, yeah. And, and Nathan says, it's you, David. Yeah. No wonder they're always killing the prophets. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot easier to be a prophet on Twitter than it is to roll up into the king's court and say, "Hey, by the way, you're a terrible sinner." Wouldn't wouldn't be surprised. Okay, shame, guilt, repentance, uh, gladness, maybe there at the end of it. Do good, do good to Zion. Regret. Well, again, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have made enemies of the Lord show utter contempt. The son born to you will die. Yeah. And what does David do? He mourns. He mo- well, he, he prays. He yep. holds himself a base. And, and uh, you know, yeah, won't eat, that won't clean. Yeah. And then the, the whole time the child dies. Until the child dies. And the child then he dies. gets up and, and cleans himself. It's the reverse of what you would expect. The child is born, there's supposed to be celebration, right? There's a, it's a birthday. Yeah. And then the child dies and then you mourn, right? David has flipped it cuz he 
knows the rest of the story. He thought God might. Maybe God would change his mind. Right. David probably knows his, uh, his Torah. Maybe God changes his mind times to time, from time to time. Okay. That that is a really good point. Yeah. Not in here, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, for the sake of our recording, I'm, I'm going to repeat that. The, essentially, the point was, one of the things that we see most about David is his willingness to be introspective, his willingness to, to take an honest, uh, an honest look at himself and to say, maybe I've missed something here. Yeah, and it is all too easy. The, the, the more sure you become of yourself, the less likely we are to do that. And that's not always the case. All right, we answered the question earlier, is, is David a sissy? Because y'all knew what I meant, we all said no, and that's right. So let me ask this question. Why do you think so many people, especially men, not exclusively men, but especially men, why do you think so many people view it as a sign of strength to keep your emotions to yourself? Keep it bottled up. Why do you? Why do so many people see that as a sign of strength? Discipline, self-control. A lot of times, yeah, men don't cry. Don't crying at baseball. <laughs> Tom Hanks taught us that lesson well. Yeah, it's no crying. Are you crying? Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, uh, lot of people who look at that kind of personal control and discipline. It's, and if, it's widespread in a political event, the, the Republican State Convention. There are two guys running for national committee. Mm -hmm. Very important job. Yeah. One guy got slaughtered by the other, and for good reason. He was a better candidate. Yeah. And the guy that got beat cried, and uh, it wrecked him. Yeah. From that time on, he didn't have any future, prominent future in the Republican Party. And uh, at the time, I was in complete agree with that. I was, I was scornful of it. Mm. Uh, not so much now. Looking back now, maybe a change of heart, sure. Yeah. Well, part of that is, as, a, as the role, especially when you get into the husband and wife, as the role of the head of the house, it's you have to be the rock. You have to be the one. That is the expectation. And I had, I actually counseled a young man who I knew from church in Kingsville and friend uh, yeah. house for me for a while uh, when they lost their first child. And it was one of the similar stories. Mm -hmm. And they were grieving. Well, and he was outside and he was like, oh, you know, that type of anger. Now I'm going to shake my fist at God. Yeah. And I said, well, okay, he's big enough to handle that. He, he can handle some. Somebody bowed on his shoulders a little bit. But I turned around and said, but right now, she needs support more than you do. Yeah. You need to cowboy up. You need to go in there because she's had it physical and mental. Right. 
she cared to chop. So yeah. I said, a few months down the road, when she's all better, you want to do this? Wherever you want to go. Yeah. Get a six pack of beer, four, 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 whatever you want to do. Get it out of your system. Yep. But right now, you got a cowboy up. And that's, you know. Just at a real practical level. Yeah. Yeah, just at a real practical level. Sometimes it just it boils down to there's a. has to be the one, you know, the rock while it's going on. Yeah. Then later you can step back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there was um, a situation that occurred in my life where something happened in in our family, and I had and I basically kind of forced myself to step up and just kind of pull it all together. And yeah. It was kind of happen. But as soon as everything was taken care of, I just fell apart. It, you know, just let it all go. Yeah. And what I have seen uh, through my life and dealing with it myself and, and, and around other men is sometimes we bottle it up and then we don't take the time to pull the, to pull the stopper off the pressure. Right. That's um, exactly right. And I think that's one of those things that, that I learned from David in, uh, when I was going through some things of my own and constantly going through, you know, you want to read this stuff that makes, you know, you want to read this stuff, Jesus loves you, God loves you, and I'm reading these things. And I remember one day I, I flipped open and I'm just kind of turning pages, I'm barely reading, you know, just kind of skimming. Yeah. And I don't remember what psalm it was, but I'm sitting there reading about David, you know, and here's David going, you know, you are going to, you know, take my enemies and crush their skull and you're going to do this and you're going to, and he's, I mean, it's visual, visceral, battle soldier language. Yeah. And I was like, I get it now. It yeah. just, it clicked. There's a moment in time where that happens. And I think that's where, as, as men, it's that, that comfortableness, um, with finding that that moment and that that person or small group of people that you can feel that with, yeah. As men, Very we much don't so. want to feel vulnerable. We've been conditioned by our culture to not feel that way, um, and yet here's David, and we see the same with Solomon, and we see it with Jesus. Yeah. There's a time where you have to surround yourself with a very small group of people and open up your heart and your spirit yep. to those around you. Sometimes seen as a sign of weakness mm -hmm. to be overcome by emotion. Yeah. You're being reactionary and passive instead of assertive, right? Gene, go ahead. I think there's a point where when a man does admit what's going on in his life, it's like God takes a thousand pounds off his shoulders. Praise God. Uh, uh, yeah. I've been in situations where I would have to go to somebody and say, hey, I'm sorry for what I did. But after I did, oh man, I felt like I was flying. Yeah. I mean, it just took a complete amount of pressure off of me. Yeah. And I think, you know what, David may be trying to do this too. David uses the Psalms to... Release his pressure. <laughs> to, to process with. All right, so the problem about bottom... I think God wants to see us release 
belief, our emotions dependent on him. It's a way of humbling us. Yeah. And there's a couple of things in my life. Number one, when my son got cancer, mm-hmm. I was a young man. And then I could, if I talk about that specific in the doctor's office that morning, it chokes me up now. Sure. And then down the road a little ways as he was coming, showing that he was going to overcome it. And there's an event or two things that he succeeded at. The opposite side of the coin, but the same thing. Yeah. It, was, it brings out emotion. And I don't Very know much what so. anybody here on earth thinks. God knows what's in my heart and yeah. what I'm thinking. So I don't care about what people, other people might think. Well, judging my emotion or yeah. character or something. God's the only one that matters. Yep. And God knows everything. So when you humble yourself to God like that, it's, it's very humbling. And yeah. there are other things, and there are different types of people, I'm sure some of us in here, um, in regards to that versus other people. Sometimes I wear my emotions right here on my shirt collar. Mm-hmm. And other people got them tucked away back here in their back pocket, and that's what David was yeah. a whole lot of the time. But then it came out of his shirt collar. And, yeah. You know, certain things, triggers, yep. you know, <clears throat> emotions, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. The the real Gene, do you, Gene, let me jump in here. I've got I've got about half a page, and we've got ten minutes. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. the The thing, the problem, problem is that God created us with emotions. My emotions, as many as I have, they're not an accident. They're not a problem. They're not, you know, a side effect. God created us with emotions and to bottle them up or to use them as a guide for what's good and true. This makes me feel good. This makes me happy. Therefore, it must be a good thing, right? <laughs> yeah. To bottle them up or to use them as a guide for what's good and true is to misuse them. It's to abuse our emotions. Another problem, I think, for a lot of people is that church what we're doing right now, Sunday mornings. Church has become a place where you can't show any emotion or maybe you can't show much emotion besides maybe happiness or or tearing up a little bit. It's simply become too uncomfortable for many people in church to be confronted with emotions like sadness and all the various expressions of sadness like grief or depression or despair, etc. And imagine the pain... Imagine the pain that we cause, even if by accident, when we make church the kind of place where it is inappropriate to bring our true selves. We're supposed to love each other in this whole building as brothers and sisters in Christ. How well can you love someone when you don't really know them? Amen. Mm -hmm. We've got to be able to share our real pain, our real worries, our real joys. And our deepest concerns. Flip side, if church can become a place where we can share our true selves, we'll give our brothers and sisters here at church the space and the opportunity to work through the things and process their emotions that If all that stuff was left unaddressed, it becomes festering wounds of resentment and bitterness and pain. And like the gentleman I mentioned earlier, he never had that space. 
And that's why he blew up on me inappropriately. Those are the kinds of things that do eventually drive people away from church. How many times have you asked somebody, hey, I hadn't seen you at church in a while. What's up? And said, well, I, you know, nobody, nobody ever talked to me. And they just sit there and stew in their bitterness and anger and don't actually have anybody that they can really open up to. And even if it's just one or two people, they can just sit there and feel justified because, well, these other people hurt me, and so I'm going to hurt them. Now, this is not a perfect church, but let me tell you, when we came here 20 years ago, bloodied and bruised, yeah. from the, in a church that disintegrated, there was real problems yeah. there. Yeah. Disintegrated, and I'm not saying I was false sure. in that, but bloodied and bruised, and we were brought in and embraced and given positions of responsibility and treated well, and only one time did I get scolded. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, and that was incredible. Was that a knowing glance that I saw yeah, over there? Was, okay, we won't uh, say who else in the room brother, for the recording. Yeah, well, <laughs> bless you, brother. I'm sure I, I deserve Only got scolded that. once. I get that once a week. Okay. The point being, though, is while this, like I said, and I make this joke all the time with visitors, it's not a perfect church, but if it was, I wouldn't be a member. It wouldn't be. <laughs> they wouldn't let me in. They wouldn't let me in. This, yeah. The, so we, it, I appreciate the fact that uh, we're able in settings to express our concerns and, yeah. and people are supportive. We try to touch people's lives. All, all around it. Very I much so. Heart sick when someone doesn't get when someone doesn't get spoken to. Yeah. And try the best I can in that. Yeah. Right. Well, they miss out on that. Yeah, Michael. To put a very fine point on it, I um, I remember having a conversation um, with a young man that uh, I went to at a, at a church down in California, uh, and he'd been there longer than I had, um, and every Sunday. In talking with him, I was like, "How's it going?" I'm trying to make inroads, you know. With I don't know anybody, I'm trying to meet people. Yeah. It's and everything he goes, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. For months on end, and I remember asking him at one point, very point blank, "So is it really fine, or is there something going on?" Because you know how you can sometimes just kind of feel it yeah. Yeah. on that person. Yeah. And and he goes. And he looks at me and he goes, even if something is going on, I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm not going to burden you with my burden. Like somehow that had been taught to him. Yeah. That was that he had so ingrained that in himself that it was like, this is my burden. I have to bear some. Yeah. And I remember, bless you. <laughs> and I remember, you know, looking at him and I'm going, the, the Bible tells us to share each other's burdens. Right. And he just kind of looks at me wide-eyed, and it took a long time for him to finally open up. Yeah. Uh, but eventually he did. Uh, and I'm glad, you know, and it wasn't to me, it was to someone else, but eventually it did happen. Yeah. But that's the, that's the part of it, is that sometimes people put that air on, and if you, the, the reality is, is we know that God's given us that ability to empathize with other people. Mm-hmm. And when you feel that on someone, I it's my opinion. I think the Holy Spirit is trying to connect that person to somebody that they need. And it's okay to just open up to them a little bit and say, hey, are you sure? Yeah. 
And it may not be you that they break down with. But there's, there's two sides of that coin. Yeah. The person asking the question, hey, how are you doing today? Good morning, how are you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're sincere, mm -hmm. and you're asking that of every one of you, if I say, good morning, how are you? Hey, how are you doing? Mike, how are you today? I mean that sincerely. Yeah. It's up to you whether you respond back to sure. that. On the other side of that coin yeah. is what you just said. Mm -hmm. Or yeah. do you open up and share, well, man, this happened this week. I had something not good. People don't want to open up. They don't want to share what's going on in their personal Uncomfortable, life. get for into us, the whole story. Yeah, yeah. For, for us here in a church family, in a congregation at this church, that's what we're all supposed to be here for and to do, to, to share and be accountable to others and yeah. for others and with others. Um, Carry you right on. What's that? What's your bottom line that you're? We've got three more things I want to get to, and we've got three minutes. Okay. You can do it. The author of the book that I'm using identifies what he calls eight core emotions. Now you can argue and quibble about whether or not he's right, and that, that's not the point. I'm going to run with these for the next three months. He mentions loneliness, fear, anger, gladness, shame, guilt, sadness, and hurt. Now, we only read from two psalms this morning, and we found at least seven of those eight. And it's not too hard to flip through the rest of the psalms and find anger, because that's the one we didn't find in just the two psalms we read. If we feel these things, loneliness, fear, anger, gladness, whatever, if we feel these things but can't name them and we can't explain them and get to the root of why we feel these things, the difficult truth is, however unintentionally, we are setting ourselves up to fail in the most important relationships we have. If we feel this thing, we can't name it, and we can't get to the bottom of it, we can't expose it, we can't talk about it, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Now near the end of the quarter, we're going to do an exercise that actually uses the Psalms. I'm going to give you some homework, okay? I'm going to give you some homework where you will use the Psalms. To we will use them to show us how God, <coughs> really how, how the Psalms can help us communicate these emotions. And these are songs for the people of Israel, but they're also songs being sung to whom? God. Isn't God big enough to handle my fear or my anger or whatever? All right, we'll, we'll learn how to use the Psalms to help us kind of jumpstart that process. And here's the last thing. Throughout the course, I, I suspect that this will come up, but near the end of the quarter, we'll also take a week to just work on the basic practice of learning how to ask for help. Learning how to ask for help when it might be difficult or embarrassing or frightening or whatever. Guys, I appreciate y'all this morning. Appreciate all the energy and the uh, comments and everything. We're going to work through this. And it's going to be difficult and it's going to be uncomfortable. And hopefully it won't be as hot next week. Do we have class next week? Uh, next week, we do have class next week. We won't have class on Easter Sunday. Okay. 
there'll be like a shortened kind of time for us to kind of mill around while the kids are doing the Easter thing, and then we'll have the brunch afterwards. Class next week, 10.45 a.m. Guys, really appreciate y'all. Y'all are dismissed.